All right. A day comes when they don't yell by mom or uh, by dad, so that's, that's good. Uh, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to be looking uh, in Matthew chapter 10 this morning. If you have access to, to God's Word on your phone and you want to, to pull that out, you can do that. On the back of your bulletin is a very rough outline of some things that we're going to be talking about this morning. I'll just give you an idea of the structure if you want to write down any notes for yourself Feel free to, to turn your, your bulletin over to the back and you can follow along there. But we're going to be looking in Matthew chapter 10 this morning. We've been in a series of messages through the book of Matthew. And we're going to come to an end for right now at this point, stopping in chapter 10. It's a good division point for what's happening in the book of Matthew. And we're going to start doing some other things during the summer we may come back to Matthew in parts. It's a book that's been very foundational in, in my own life. And obviously it's important because it sits there at the beginning of the New Testament, giving us the first gospel, the first story about what it looks like for Jesus to bring God's kingdom into the world. And so we've been coming up to this point with the book of Matthew. Starting next week, we're going to begin a series of messages called, Who is God? We talk about believing in God. We talk about even being a nation that has a history of believing in God. But if you go up to your friend or a family member or a coworker or somebody you meet on the road and you say, do you believe in God? What in the world do we mean by God? What is that all about? Who is God? What does the Bible say about that? And so obviously that's bigger than we could tackle in just a few weeks, but we're going to begin this summer to ask the question, who is God? And hopefully it will be foundational for our lives. It'll be foundational for our church. And so that's the, that's the direction we're going to go in, in the weeks to come. But this morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 10. Up to this point, Matthew has been showing us how Jesus is the Savior of the world, how he is the Messiah, the one who was coming to be the ruler of the world, to be the rescuer of the world. And you see on the back of your bulletin there how in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew begins to talk about Jesus' authority. We worship Jesus. We, we submit to him because of his authority and his power. And then at the end of Matthew chapter 9, we begin to think about what it means to look at the world differently. We talked last week about having kingdom eyes. What does it mean to see the world the way Jesus sees the world? And, and that's what we mean by discipleship or by our lives being transformed from the inside out. So there's up, in, and now in chapter 10, Matthew gets to the out. He gets to the send portion where, where the disciples are being sent out. We have a mission statement at First Baptist that says we exist to proclaim and display Jesus up, in, out. We worship him, he changes us on the inside, and then we go out living for him. Hopefully next week I'll be able to debut for you a beautiful piece of artwork. We have a very amazing artist in our church that goes by the name Anonymous, that's all I know. We had a piece of artwork dropped off at the office this last week that was signed anonymous, and it has our church's mission statement on it that we're going to be able to put up. So hopefully we'll be able to, to show you that uh, next week. But it's this idea of how Jesus is forming his people, and Matthew chapter 10 is kind of the culmination of that. Let's look, and starting in verse 1, I'll tell you what, just to get the adult wiggles out and to honor the Lord with the reading of his word, let's stand together. Uh, for the reading 
of the word this morning. We're going to begin in verse 1, and we're going to read down through verse, verse 15. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. The first, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, Do not go in the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, preach or proclaim, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take, bla- take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word given to us so that we can know you and know how to live this life that you have given us, God. Everything is from you and everything is for you. And we pray that this time of studying the Bible this morning would be honoring to you and that it would be transformative in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So if you're still on your phone, you have your Bible open. If you scroll up a little bit or look just to the left, you'll see at the very end of Matthew chapter 9 and verse 37, Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few, therefore beseech or ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So at the very end of Jesus performing these miracles and telling people about his authority and about his power, he says, pray that the Lord will send out people to do what I've called you to do. And then chapter 10 is what it looks like for people to be sent out. Something interesting about that phrase, sent out, if you like to underline your Bible or make notes or something like that, the word sent out in Matthew 9.38 is the same word that Matthew uses throughout the book for when demons were cast out of someone. And so literally, just like a demon was cast out of someone, Jesus is saying, pray that the Lord would cast you out, that he would send you out to go and do what I've called you to do. Why would he use that term there? Because our natural tendency, and this begins with me, our natural tendency is to sit and to stay and to grow stale. That is just what we tend to gravitate gravitate toward. And literally, just like a demon was cast out, it says to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5, 6, and 7. 
I'm pretty sure if Jesus would have preached the Sermon on the Mount in a Baptist church, we would have invited him back to do it again at 6 o'clock that evening to give us another sermon. Because that's just our tendency. Oh yeah, I like that Bible study. I like that sermon. Could you do that again for us? And Jesus is saying, no, that is not the point. You have heard what the kingdom looks like, and now I'm literally going to kick you out. I am going to cast you out to go and do what I've called you to do. This is Jesus's M.O. This is how he lives his life, and he wants his disciples to do the same thing. And there's a phrase that sums that up. It's a phrase I was introduced to a couple of months ago. It's the phrase, live sent. And if there are two words that sum up Matthew chapter 10, it's the phrase, live sent, S-E-N-T, if you look there on the back of, of your bulletin, if I didn't enunciate well. But it's the idea, live as people who have been sent out. If you call yourself a Christian, if you're a worshiper of the one true God, if he's transforming your life, then you're going to live as someone who has been sent out on a mission. If you're here this morning and you are not a follower of Jesus, you're curious about Jesus, you come to church out of respect for coming to church, but you say, you know what, I'm just, I'm just not into it, I'm not a Christian yet, I'm curious about it. One thing I would like you to hear from this chapter is that when you think about God, it's easy to think about God as being a very distant deity, as being someone who maybe created the earth, maybe, maybe you know, cares about what's going on, but he seems very distant. The picture of God in Scripture is God on mission. If you look from the very beginning of the Scripture to the very end of Scripture, we serve a God who is on mission. And so if your idea of God If your idea of coming and being a Christian is that you would come to church on Sunday morning, you say, you know what, I'm just not really interested in that, I would say, understandably so. Because if our whole Christian life was summed up in just what we do on Sunday morning, yes, it would become boring. Yes, it would become stale. Yes, it would seem very trivial. This is an overflow of what God is doing in our life. We gather on Sunday morning to give him praise for what he has done in our lives throughout the week and to ask him that he would continue to guide us forward in the weeks to come. That's the reason we gather. That's that's the purpose of these gatherings on Sunday mornings. And so I hope that you'll see a picture in Matthew 10, not of a God who sits far and distant from his people, but a God who is on mission and calls his people to do the same thing. And there's a question behind that. And the question is, why? Why would God do that? Why would we be a people who live as those who are sent? And the reason, the foundational reason, and this is on your notes there, the foundational reason is because we serve a great king. Matthew chapter 10 only makes sense if everything else in Matthew up to that point is true. Matthew, up to this point, has been talking about how Jesus is the ruler, Jesus is the rescuer, Jesus is the Messiah, and now Jesus will send out his disciples. The mission that we are sent on only matters if we are sent by a truly great king. When I was a freshman in in high school, and we went to a very small school, so we played up on high school sports uh, as a freshman, I, left a, I learned a very valuable lesson as a freshman. Never listen to a senior when they send you to go get something. We were at practice one time, and a senior looked over at me, 
and told me to go to the locker room and find a particular thing. So I go to the locker room to find the particular thing, and I look, and I look, and I look. I'm going to impress the coach and impress the other players. Come to find out, what you know is true actually proved to be true. Was there anything in the locker room that I was going to look for? No way. I was sent just for the upperclassmen to make fun of me when I couldn't come back with the thing they sent me for and I looked like a fool. If someone not great, like a senior, sends you to go find something, it doesn't really matter. If the coach sends you, or if the ruler of the universe sends you out on a mission, then it really matters. And what we're finding here in Matthew 10 is the only reason these disciples are going to go out is because of the way they feel about Jesus. Because he is a great king, and he's sending them on a great mission. And on top of that, they know they're establishing a great kingdom. Look at the end of Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. So if you still have your phone or your Bible open, look at the end of that verse. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Okay, a couple of things going on here. We find out other places in the book of Matthew that the things that are mentioned at the end of verse 1 are signs that God's kingdom is coming on earth. And so these particular actions that are mentioned at the end of verse 1, they were signs that God's kingdom of hope and victory and peace and joy and healing All of those things were coming true in the world. But if you're asking yourselves questions as you read the verse, you might ask yourself, so are we supposed to do these things? Because look at the end of verse 1. Cast out unclean spirits, heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. I don't know about you, but I haven't done a lot of that in my life. Those things I wish characterized my life, that would be fantastic, but, but those just haven't characterized my life. And, and so what is the end of Matthew 1 getting at? Are we supposed to be doing those things or, or not? And the answer is obviously yes and no. Because that's the answer to all good questions like this. It's, it's yes and no. Yes, we are able to do things like that in the sense that God gifts his people in all kinds of ways. And I believe it is true that God is able to heal. And it is true that God is able to transform people's lives from the inside out. So yes, we are called into that type of ministry, a ministry of seeing God's kingdom come, seeing people healed, seeing people transformed. But it doesn't mean, don't go home and try this at home, it doesn't mean that you're going to be able to cast out a demon. It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to say a word and heal somebody automatically as if it's magic. Because the purpose of these actions was to show that God's kingdom was coming on earth. And later on in Matthew, people come up to Jesus and they want him to perform these miracles just for the fun of it, just to show off. And Jesus says, you got the wrong idea here. I'm not doing these things just to show off. I'm not doing these things because I'm a magician. I'm doing these things because I want you to see the greatness of God. I want you to see the greatness of what his kingdom is about. And when we get to the very end of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28, it says, go and make disciples of all nations. And it doesn't say to cast out evil spirits. It doesn't say to heal people. It says to baptize and to teach. And so when we think about the calling of disciples, you may have a chance to cast out a demon. If you do, call me. I'd like to know about it. And if you may have a chance to see somebody healed, 
really call me at that point because I want to know about that. But what we are called to do is to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. How? How do we do this? The rest of Matthew chapter 10 answers the how question. Now, obviously, we don't have time to cover all of the rest of Matthew 10. And so on the back of your bulletin, I've grouped it into four categories. And we're not going to hit every verse But we're going to go kind of quickly through these first three categories and then slow down just a little bit on on the fourth. The first way we do it is freely. Look down in verse 8 in your Bible or in your phone. Verse 8 of chapter 10. It says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Okay, we already have that. How do we do it? Freely you received freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. What's Jesus saying in those verses? He is telling his disciples if they're going to live sent, if they're going to live as people on mission, they cannot be held down They cannot be encumbered by the treasures of this world. Earlier in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said something very foundational for this passage. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven where the moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. And then what comes next? For where your treasure is. There your heart is also. Jesus knows that one of the greatest gifts that he is able to give us is freedom. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, one of the greatest gifts you have is freedom. You have freedom from your past. You have freedom from the darkness around you. You have freedom from the sin within you. You have freedom to live fully for him And yet so often as Christians, we trade in our freedom for the treasures of this world. We have been set free by Jesus, and then we enslave ourselves again by becoming so connected to the things of this world. And Jesus is telling his disciples, if you want to live on mission, you don't need a money bag. You don't need a purse. You don't need someplace to stay. You don't need any of these things. You just need to be free to live for me. One of the ways, and I like this imagery, one of the ways that David Platt, who is uh, the leader of our mission group for Southern Baptists, one of the things he says is you give Jesus a blank check. Now, I wouldn't suggest giving a blank check to anybody else except Jesus. But, or if you're like us and you wrote a very large check, it would bounce really high anyway, so it wouldn't matter. But literally, You give your life to Jesus as a blank check, and you say, I am free. I am free to live for you. That's what he's laying out here. The second thing is the word wisely. So we live for Jesus freely, and then we live wisely. Look down in verse 16. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. And then look down in verse 19, just just for a second. When they hand you over, don't worry about what you're going to say. It will be given to you in that hour what you're supposed to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. 
when Jesus sends out his disciples, he doesn't send them out just running into the darkness. He says, you need to be wise. Christians sometimes, and, and, and we've gotten this reputation for a reason, Christians rightly so sometimes seem naive. And the Bible is very clear that faith does not equal being naive or being dumb. Scripture calls us to be wise. Scripture calls us to make wise decisions guided by God's Spirit. So if you hear the word faith, don't connect that with being naive and being dumb. It means submitting yourself to the Lord. The third thing is the word persistently. Look down there in verse 22. It says, You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who is endured to the end who will be saved. Whenever they persecute you in one city, this is verse 23, whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. What Jesus is telling his disciples is that when they go out, when they're sent by him, some people are going to respond well, and some people are going to yell at them. And some people are going to send them away. And Jesus says, the most important thing you can do is keep going. Be persistent. One of the struggles we run into in the Christian life is someone turns to Jesus, they're baptized, they start to follow after him, and then they hit a hard patch in life. Things go wrong, life gets hard, something happens, and then they just stop. And I take part of the blame for that in some sense. Somehow in church, even in my role as a pastor, I have to figure out how to get better at telling people one of the most important characteristics of being a Christian is persistence and endurance. And the idea that you will hit hard patches, you will hit difficulty, keep going. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples. And then finally, the last word on your bulletin there, the last word describing this is wholeheartedly. Look down at verse 34. These verses are up on the screen. We're going to read these next few verses in full because I think this is where Jesus is pointing the whole way along. Verses 34 to 39. Look at that. He says, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. This is one of those moments that people start leaving Jesus. He'll get a whole bunch of followers, and then he'll say something, and a whole bunch of people leave. This is another one of those moments. Verse 35, for I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Don't read too much into that particular part. but uh, And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. There are some very difficult words in in that passage. What Jesus is saying is that when we live on mission, when he transforms our lives, we will live for him wholeheartedly. When it talks about the members of a household being in tension and a father turning against a son or a a daughter-in-law against a mother-in-law, what Jesus is saying is not 
that Christians should turn against their family. Okay, let's be very, very clear. Jesus repeatedly says to honor your father and your mother. He is not saying that we should turn against our family, but what he's saying is that if we begin to follow him, if we begin to follow Jesus and we become a Christian, it may cause tension in your family. And there are many of you that can raise your hand right now and give testimony to that. You began to follow Jesus, and it caused tension in your family. Family members were set against one another. There are many places in the world today that if you're baptized and you begin to follow Jesus, you will be kicked out or disinherited from your family because you're following after the Lord. We are called to follow after him wholeheartedly, even if that means it causes tension in our families. We have to be careful in the American church especially that we don't turn family into a God. Family is one of God's greatest gifts, but it is a terrible God. We are called to build the family, we are called to honor family, but we are not called to worship family. And that is a very difficult line to to walk, especially in our culture. Let me give you a few ways that this plays out. One of the ways that this plays out in life is where you live or what job you have. For me and Amanda, when we left Oklahoma and moved to New Orleans, we left our family, geographically left where our family was, went to a place we didn't know anybody, didn't have any family support around, didn't have any friends, went to a new place. And the Lord may do a work in your life where you live in an area that your family doesn't live in. And it's hard. You miss those relationships. My family, is, my extended family has sacrificed a lot for us to move to the Gulf Coast, to be down in this area. But what we have to come back to is that our loyalty to the Lord trumps our loyalty to our family. If the Lord says, go here, we'll go here. If one day we move back to Oklahoma, we'll move back there, not because our family is there, but because the Lord says to go there. And if we move further away from there, we move not because we're trying to get away from family, but because the Lord says to go there. And this is very difficult sometimes, especially if you're in the security and the comfort of your immediate family. And you say, Lord, I would go anywhere as long as I had free babysitting. Or, or, Lord, I would go anywhere as long as my parents or grandparents approved of it. No. Jesus is saying, you will live wholeheartedly. And parents, let me, uh, let me talk to us on this. Parenting is a stewardship, not an ownership. As parents, we do not own our children. We have been given them as a gift to steward and, and to raise up for the good of God's kingdom. But, but my goal as a parent is not to hold on to my children, to own my children. My job as a parent is to be a steward and to prepare them for God's kingdom so that they will go. My mom has a sign in, I can't remember which room in the house it is now that they, that they moved to a new location. But she has a, a sign in her house that says, home is where your story begins. Home is where your story begins, not where it ends. Parenting is designed that we raise up and then send out our kids. Send them out for the glory of the Lord. About 200 years ago, there was a Baptist missionary couple named Adoniram and Ann Judson who left the United States 
to go to India, and actually they ended up in modern-day Myanmar, which at one time was called Burma. Before this couple was married, Adoniram sent a letter to Anne's father asking for permission to marry her. I want to read you part of that letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. And then all the dads tore up the letter and threw it out. But uh, to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for your daughter for the sake of the one who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? If I got a letter like that from someone asking to marry my daughter, what in the world would I say? I don't know, to be honest. I hope I would say yes. I hope I have so wholeheartedly given myself to the Lord that that we're living sent as a family that I would say yes. And Anne's father said yes, and he never saw her alive again in the world. They moved to Myanmar started a missionary movement that has resulted in thousands upon thousands of churches in that part of the world, what does it look like to live freely, wisely, persistently, and wholeheartedly for the Lord? It means to live sent for him. In your bulletin, you have an envelope. If you didn't get a bulletin when you came in, Chances are better than not that you have an envelope at home. Imagine a post office that functioned as a museum. So you you put a mail, you put a letter in the mail, and you send it out, and the post office says, wow, that is a fantastic letter. I think we'll just keep it here. And they just start posting the letters all around the post office. Would you think that that post office was functioning correctly? No, that would be ridiculous. It doesn't even make sense to us. Letters are meant to be sent out to reach a destination. Our lives are meant to be sent out. That may mean Myanmar. That may mean across the street. I don't know what that looks like, but we're called to be sent out. Here's what I want you to do with this letter, this or an envelope that will function as a letter. Here's what I want you to do this week. You've got a couple of options with your envelope. Here's option number one that you would write out your story of faith in Christ. This is what God has done in my life. I've maybe, maybe you've never written that down on paper, but that you would force yourself to write down, this is what God has done in my life, and then you would send it to someone. You would mail it to someone or give it to someone and say, I want you to know how the Lord has worked in my life. This might look like, There's the person that always wears the red shirt and they sit on the left side of the sanctuary and I've seen them and they've talked to me before. Bring the letter to us. We have freaky ways of knowing who that person is and we can get the letter to them, okay? We want you to be able to share your story of what the Lord is doing in your life. 
Maybe you say, God is calling me to do something. He is calling me to do something, and I've never been able to share this with anybody, and I just want to share it with you as the pastor or the staff or the deacons. Write it down and bring it to me. Here's a third way to use this letter, and I hope you'll consider this third way as well. Maybe you've seen someone, and you've seen the Lord at work in their life. You don't even know their name. You don't know all their stories, but you know that God is working in their life. Use a letter to invest in that person's life. Say something like, I can tell the Lord is working in your life, and I believe that he is going to use you, and here's what I think that might look like, and you get the letter to that person, and you are saying, I believe that we are all called to live sent, and I want to encourage you in that way. Use this letter. And if you're really, really brave, and you're a teenage guy, you could write a letter to your future father-in-law and maybe sound like Adoniram here and, and then don't come back to me if you get in trouble for that. But, uh, but it's a way of saying, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. Wherever you lead, I'll go. I'm gonna pray for us in just a second and then we're gonna sing that song, Wherever You Lead, I'll Go. And we've seen it as a response to God's word. If you need someone to pray for you, If you're just knowing that the Lord is working in your life and you need to share with someone, I'll be available for you here at the front. Let me pray for you. We're gonna sing that hymn as as we close our service.